Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at SFBC. This week, Pastor Rod Heppel shares the next message in our series in the book of John. Enjoy. Well, Ann and I have a small little hobby farm, and um, from time to time we have animals on our farm. Ann grew up uh, in Oregon on a little hobby farm as well where she had sheep, and so from time to time we've had sheep on our farm. Many years ago now, we had this one ram that we named Rambo, for all the reasons you would imagine. Because if you weren't careful, he'd take a run at you. Like seriously, like you never turned your back on him. You never bent over to pick up a stick, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Rambo was always watching. Now, he never actually took a run at me. Um, But my wife claims that he would take a run at her on occasion, and it made her very nervous to be out in the field just going through because she never knew if Rambo was going to come at her. In fact, she would pick up a big stick just to carry with her in case Rambo came at her. Now, kids, don't worry. These are sheep. They collide their heads together really, really hard. So she wouldn't have hurt the sheep. She never had to. But, you know, she was just ready. I kind of thought maybe she was overstating the case a little bit until one day I was up on the patio deck and I was looking out over the field and I saw Anne out there with Rambo And all of a sudden, Rambo took a run at her. Not just once, but twice. And I was like, okay, that's it. Now, fortunately, she wasn't hurt, uh, but I immediately called Johnson Packers and booked Rambo an appointment. (laughs) True story. (laughs) Now, you might be thinking, you know, Rod, you're not a very good shepherd. (laughs) And I guess you would be right. What do you expect from a guy who grew up on a turkey farm? The only flocks that I knew of were the flocks by night called turkeys. And, well, just, let's just say the analogy doesn't get better if you're a turkey farmer than if you're a sheep farmer. Um, for those of you who choose tofu over turkey, I apologize, but we made our living off of turkey, okay? In contrast to myself, um, we're going to be talking about Jesus and his own claim to be the good shepherd. And we know why he's a good shepherd, because he says very clearly the good shepherd what? lays down his life for his sheep, right? I mean, he doesn't lay down his life without reason. He doesn't just stand there and let Ramble bull over him. That, that's pointless. No, it's when there's a real danger to the life of the sheep, the good shepherd says, I'm willing to lay down my life for those sheep. And so we're in John chapter 10 today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you um, have your phone or whatever, you can go there, or you can read on the screen behind me. But we're going to look at the first 18 verses of John chapter 10. And you can follow along as I read this passage for us, and then we're going to dig in and talk about what this is all about. But why don't we start with a word of prayer. Father, as we come to your word here today, open our eyes, open our hearts and minds, so we might know your truth and walk in it. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
and all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks, then the, wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The dialogue goes on further, but I'm going to um, keep our thoughts today on these 18 verses at the beginning of John chapter 10. Now, if you were a bit confused as we were reading through uh, this introduction here about parts and pieces of what Jesus is saying, you're not alone in that. You know, I grew up in the church and I grew up for years reading this passage or hearing it read to me, and often I wondered, well, what exactly is going on here? Because things don't seem to stay the same. Some of the pieces of what's the elements of this analogy are changing. So the first thing that helped me uh, to understand how to read this properly was to understand that it's not a parable. You know when Jesus in the other Gospels would do parables? Like, for instance, there were a hundred sheep. He told the story, right? And one of the sheep were lost. The 99 were there. He counted them. One was lost. And he goes out and he finds the one and he brings it back, right? And there's great rejoicing in heaven. So you might look at this and go, isn't this a story, a parable, like Jesus has done in other places? But it's not. It's actually an illustration. It's a metaphor. If we can understand what it's like to be a shepherd and what it's like to be sheep and what goes around being a shepherd or a sheep in sheep farming, you're going to understand spiritual truth and spiritual lessons that I want to teach you. So that's how Jesus is using this, and it really helps out because we might think he's being very inconsistent with his story. At one one moment, he references the fact that the the shepherd enters through the gate, right? And then the next thing, he's talking about the fact that he is the shepherd who is the gate. So which is it? Is he the shepherd that goes through the gate, or is he the gate for the sheep to go through? And both are true. And it's because of this idea that Jesus is not telling a story. He's just taking an illustration, and he's expanding it. He's taking his metaphor and he's adding more elements that you can understand. But the key to this is to understand that you have to follow the context to understand how he's using the imagery of the metaphor. Now, we do this quite a bit in English as well. We take words and ideas and in different contexts, they mean different things. In fact, just this last week, uh, my wife was taking care of our friend's two daughters, uh, the Lepke's daughters, and um, they were in our home, and then afterwards it was time to go home, and so uh, we put them in our car, and we were going to drive away, when the six-year-old threw out this literary nugget. Are you ready? Six years old. So we're driving, she says, my dad has a fast car, and some cars go faster than others. Then she said, let's give this baby a ride. Then she followed up immediately with this. You can use the word baby to refer to something other than a baby when you want to make the point that it's fast or cool. (laughs) Six. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, yeah, I think I picked that up in about grade eight or nine, you know. (laughs) 
a little six-year-old understands that a word in one context means something different when you use it in a different context. But you can understand its meaning, right? And that's what Jesus is exactly doing here. He's, he's basically taking this idea of being a shepherd and, and sheep, and he's um, using it in different ways to make different points. And I don't think that's hard for us to understand, although in verse 6 it says, the Pharisees did not understand what he was saying. Why not? Well, I think more than anything, this has to do with what John chapter 9, remember last week we were in John chapter 9 with with, uh, Dr. Archie Spencer, and he was talking about the spiritual blindness. It was the hardness of the hearts that prevented them from seeing or understanding Hearing the words of Jesus when he's using these kinds of analogies and expressions. Uh, last week, Jesus had said, then this is important to understand where we left off last week. So in, on John chapter 9, and this is after the healing of the blind man. You remember that? And then Jesus makes, again, a reference to their own spiritual blindedness. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. There's two categories here. Those who are blind who are going to see, and those who say, oh, no, I'm just fine. But they're actually blinded. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? (laughs) Harvey says, yes, they are. (laughs) Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. And so now we come into John chapter 10, and he's giving this figure of speech, but they don't understand him. But it's not because it's not understandable. It's very understandable. It's just that their hearts are hardened. So John 10 starts off by saying, very truly I tell you, Pharisees. That's who Jesus is addressing here. Sometimes we might wonder, well, who is he addressing in all these different scenarios? Most often in the Gospel of John, it's the religious leaders of the day. And the reason for that is because... um, Jesus is in Jerusalem a lot. Like John tells the stories of of Jesus when he's in Jerusalem. If you're in Jerusalem, you're near the temple. If you're near the temple, you're where the religious leaders are, the priests, and the ones who would really be kind of like the elite. The elite weren't placed in Galilee. The elite were placed in Jerusalem. And now Jesus, with his teaching, is coming directly into confrontation with those who are the gatekeepers, mark that word, gatekeepers of God's truth. And all of a sudden, Jesus is speaking to them, and now they're fighting, they're clashing, they're going head to head. So you might wonder, why in John's gospel is Jesus always in an argument? John 6, John 8, John 10, Jesus is in this discourse, this conversation, which really looks more like an argument. Well, part of the reason why Jesus is in Jerusalem so much is because he attends these Passover feasts, feasts of tabernacles, and feasts of dedication. Now, we reference this, I don't want to go too deep into this, but... We noted in John 6 that when he was talking about manna and he was talking about the bread of life, that was during the time or very near to the Passover, which was one of the focuses of the Passover, which takes place in March or April. That would be the first celebration in the course of the Jewish calendar. And then the second celebration would be this Feast of Tabernacles, which we looked at in John 8, and and it has this light ceremony where, where they were like this light that lit up the temple and lit up all of Jerusalem, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? So that was John 8, and that takes place in like September, October. And then we come to this time frame, this Feast of Dedication, which is mentioned at the end of John chapter 10, that Jesus spoke these words near the Feast of Dedication. It had an element of focusing on shepherds. And in fact, it focused on shepherds in a negative way. Ezekiel 34. This event took place in winter in December or January. Just kind of interesting to note, three festivals a year, 
kind of like Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. They had their own cycle, but theirs went for like a whole week of partying and feasting and having a great time together. Um, Sometimes we just do one day. I like their version better. But don't miss this point about he's saying these words during a time when they're going to be mindful of what the Old Testament says about shepherds. Now, there's lots in the Old Testament that's good about shepherds, but there's an event that is very negative, and I want to bring that to your attention. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 34, and God chastises the shepherds because they are neglectful of the sheep. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, close yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. That is an indictment on the religious leaders of Israel During the time of Ezekiel. Not much has changed in the time of Jesus. And that's his point that he's going to start driving home here. Now contrast that to what then Ezekiel goes on to say about God himself. The sovereign Lord. Are you ready? For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered uh, on a cloud, on a day of clouds and darkness. And then it goes on to some other imagery of taking care of the sheep. And then in verse 15, he lands on, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord, the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. This is the background in which Jesus then says, I am the good shepherd. This is the background where he started when he says to the Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Who do you think he has in mind? Them. You are the thieves and the robbers that are climbing in some other way. Now, ultimately, it is the devil himself. Ultimately, he is the one behind that kind of an idea and plan because he truly is the enemy of Christ. But we, as humans, can choose between Christ or the enemy. Verse 2 and 3 then goes on to say, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's the one sent by the Father to be the good shepherd for the nation of Israel, and he's calling out his own. So there's this contrast. In fact, that's the big picture. If you were to go through all 18 verses, you're just going to basically see Jesus using imagery to paint a picture between the true shepherd or the good shepherd or that which is the hired hand or that which is the robber or the thief. Only Jesus is the good and true shepherd of God, and the sheep listen to his voice. Not hard to make application to our own lives, is it? Now, there's two different settings that John is... um, that Jesus is speaking, that John has in mind. I don't mean two different settings as in two different time frames. I mean, verses 1 to 5, Jesus uses his metaphor in one way. Verses 7 to 18, he uses the metaphor in a different way. So follow me here. So in verses 1 to 5, here's some things that we note. There is one large pen where multiple different flocks are staying the night. Now, I don't know what you envision when you think of a sheep pen, because it's not very common for us, right? We think of barns. 
we would think maybe big long barn or something like that. But that's not what it was like in the Middle East at this time. Uh, most likely it would have been maybe like a rock structure, maybe a circle in, in shape with one little entry. Um, or square in shape, doesn't matter, but just one entry and maybe a rock wall or fence and pretty high so that animals couldn't jump over, something like that. Maybe it had a roof, but for a lot of ones didn't. Maybe it was more in a city or town center where the sheep were kind of brought into like a courtyard type area. Now what's going on here? There's one pen, there's multiple flocks for the night. Why? Well, there's a gatekeeper. There's a security guard whose job is to make sure that during the night those sheep are okay while the shepherds have a rest. In the morning when the shepherds clock back in for the day, the security guard recognizes them when they come to the gate. And what do they do when they come to the gate? They come to the gate and they start to call out their own sheep by name. That means that they know their sheep and their sheep recognize their voice. Now, if there's multiple flocks in there, only the sheep that belong to that shepherd are going to follow out. And they go out and they come back following that shepherd. Then the next shepherd comes and he calls out his and the last one takes his and off they go. So picture that. That's verses 1 to 5. But there's a problem. There are other shepherds that aren't really shepherds at all, but there are others who want the sheep. There's others that want to take those sheep, but they can't come to the front door. They can't come to the gatekeeper because the gatekeeper recognizes them as robbers and thieves. They can't come and call out the sheep because the sheep will not listen to the voice of a stranger. So what do they do? They find another way in. They crawl over the wall. They come through a window. And Jesus is saying, there's that one which is true, and there are those who are not true. The sheep will listen to the voice of the true shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the true shepherd of Israel. I am the one who is sent by God to my people. I am the one who call out my sheep, and those who truly belong to God listen to my voice, and what? Follow. But the Pharisees, they are not true shepherds of Israel. They are still in their spiritual blindness, John 9. They are thieves and robbers who do not have God's best in mind for their sheep. Ezekiel 34. They have their own agenda. They have not entered through God's gate. They've come in their own way. They're accessing the sheep wrongfully. Jesus is saying to them, you are like the shepherds of Ezekiel 34. You have not even recognized me as the great shepherd. And by not recognizing me as that shepherd, you're actually harming the people. You're harming the rest of the sheep. By this aggressive action against me and not accepting the one and only Son of God, the one and only Messiah, the one and only Savior of Israel, you're harming the sheep. No, you don't care about the sheep. In fact, you just kicked a blind man who's been healed by Jesus out of the synagogue. <laughs> no, you're not taking care of the sheep. That's the imagery of John 1, 1 to 5. And the Pharisees failed to understand it. Hardness of heart. Let's look at the second imagery that you'll find in verses 7 to 18. This is like round two of the metaphor. He's just emphasizing this point. Kind of like, well, if you miss it the first time, let me put it a little bit clearer. <laughs> I am the gate. <laughs> if you didn't catch that, let me get it straight for you. In this scene, there is no gatekeeper in this part of Jesus' explanation. Uh, there is the shepherd who is the gate. Um, some of you know that shepherds in the east sometimes would lie down at the entryway to the pen, and so it could be interpreted that way, but not every pen had just the, the human gate, so to speak. There is only one flock, and there's only one shepherd. That's the emphasis of this next part. And you only come in, you're only saved, he says, when you come to that gate, when you come to that shepherd who is the gate, then you are saved. Then you have the freedom to come in and go out. And then he goes on to say there's just one 
flock. Whoa, 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 time out. The one flock of Israel, right? No, Jesus says, no, I call up my sheep from Israel, but I have other sheep who are from a different sheep pen, and I must also call them, and they will follow because they will hear my voice and they will listen to me. Oh, so there will be one flock. Yes, one flock and one shepherd. Of course, he's speaking about the church. To follow this shepherd means that he brings life, right? Um, uh, they will come in and they will go out and find pasture. That's just, just another part of the metaphor to understand that this shepherd is going to bring you and, and bring you into life. He's going to lead you. The thief is the one who comes to kill and destroy. He's the one you need to be aware of because there's others that come who are thieves to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's the picture that is being painted for us here. The contrast, again, is with this good shepherd. And why is he a good shepherd? It means that he is a noble shepherd. He is one of highest character. Why? Because he lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. He relates it to his relationship with the Father. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and we, there's this intimacy here, so my sheep will hear my voice. And by knowing Jesus, the shepherd, you will know the Father as well. That's implicated there. And why does the Father love him? Because he lays down his life willfully. The hired hand doesn't. No, no, no. The hired hand goes, yeah, these aren't my sheep. <laughs> I'm out of here. Right? Uh, I think we understand that. When you don't own it, you're not as personally invested in it. This one and only good shepherd comes and says, no, 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 no. The sheep are mine. And I will lay down my life for these sheep. But I do it on my own free will. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. That's the resurrection. He did not have to do this. He willfully chose to do it. And it's for that reason that the Father loves him. The good shepherd willingly lays down his life for us. And I guess I'm wondering, has that sunk in for you personally? Have you come to that place of understanding this is what Jesus Christ did for you willingly? And he did it because he knows his sheep. He did it because he loves his sheep. And we are his sheep. There are sheep that listen to his voice and there are sheep that ignore his voice. The ones who listen to his voice are the ones who follow him. That means that they obey Jesus. And when they do, they get this. They get eternal life and they get a full life. That's what Jesus promises to the one who's willing to listen to his voice and follow him. Oh, I want that. Here's my application for today. I don't think that this is an overly technical and difficult passage of Scripture to understand. I think ultimately it comes down to whether or not we have actually listened to the voice of Jesus the shepherd and said yes to him and whether we're continuing to follow him. Listen and follow. Because you cannot be saved unless you come to Jesus. Whoever enters through me will be saved, he said in verse 9 there. And so the first step would be to truly Put your faith in Jesus Christ, which is why next Sunday we're doing this I Declare Sunday. Um, it's an opportunity. There's, there's about three people so far who are planning to be baptized next Sunday. Um, we would love it if there's others who say, yeah, you know what? I am a, a believer in Jesus Christ. I know that I'm one of those sheep. I am listening to his voice, but I've never declared my faith through baptism. We encourage you. Speak to us this week. And it could also be your opportunity next week to declare your faith in Jesus Christ. To say, yeah, I'm, I'm one of his followers. But secondly, for all of us who are here today, I guess I'm asking the question, whose voice am I listening to? And who am I following? You see, in the world in which we live, there are many voices that are speaking to us all the time. There's some of those voices that come from the outside, but there's also those voices that come from inside, right? Like we hear it in our own head. The voices that we often hear come through music, movies, news, 
They come through our teachers, our leaders, our pastors. They come through our favorite YouTube influencer or our favorite podcasts or posts. We are inundated with many different voices, many different messages. And the question I'm asking is, who are we listening to? Who am I buying into? When it comes to how you are living your life, whose voice are you allowing to influence you? Are you truly following Jesus a shepherd? Now, we could ask ourselves a question at this point. We could say, well, I have a challenge here because there are lots of voices, and I have a hard time distinguishing Jesus' voice from the rest of the voices. That's fair. That is legitimate. There's a second challenge, and that is this. I do hear the voice of Jesus. I just don't know if I want to follow. Do I want to obey him? Listen and follow. Both can be challenging. We do recognize the voice of Jesus when we read God's word because that's how he speaks to us. The Holy Spirit comes and takes God's word and he applies it to our life. And he helps us understand what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is not and what is to come. The word of God, the Holy Spirit brings it to life. It is alive and active. In fact, in Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's really, 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 really sharp. Why? How sharp? It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That sharp. I cannot do that. I cannot judge your attitude of heart. But God's word can. Because it's alive. And if you've read the word of God, and if you allowed it to sink into your heart, you begin to hear God's voice. You begin to hear the shepherd's voice. In fact, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account makes my knees shake. It makes me humble before God. You know everything about me. Your word is a light into the core of my being. And it cuts like a knife between what is right and what is wrong, between what is true and what is not. His word knows me. And that's when I hear the voice of God speaking to my heart. But then I have that dilemma. Do I trust the voice of Jesus? Do I? Really? Or do I just say that I trust his voice? Because I can deafen the level and intensity of his voice. I can suppress his voice in my life. Or I can let it come in and shape me. There is a battle of the will here. Do I truly trust him with my life? Is Jesus truly good? We're about to watch a video. Uh, It's fairly long. It's eight minutes long. But it's very well done. It's called Listen to the Voice. And I want us to watch this. And listen to how God is speaking to you through it. So we'll watch this now. I was in Alaska doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. And a pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here. And I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane and I looked at it and I thought, Well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up. And it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're going (laughs) to. 
And I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently and we start climbing. And it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing and we flew probably three, four minutes. And something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head. And he starts mumbling and he passes out, passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, Tell we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we gotta do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you gotta promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not gonna obey my voice, you're gonna die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're gonna crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice? Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand, without God's voice, you have nothing, nothing. Finally, he got us turned and he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's gonna take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage and there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die, but I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're gonna make it, but listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices and everybody in this world wants to talk to you. 
and everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm gonna line you up. He said, I'm gonna bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop. And the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning. A knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there, he said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're gonna stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through a living sacrifice holy. Yeah, that was powerful. Uh, the pastor who is narrating that story is David Gibbs from Temple Baptist Church. I, I don't know if it's his experience. It sounds like it is. I couldn't verify that. But the story stands as one that I think um, is powerful. And it speaks to us. You have a God who has promised to take you through the storm. Listen to his voice. Do we trust the voice of Jesus? You know, nothing really changes in our human um, experience. If you were to go back into the time of Israel, they struggled so hard to follow and listen to God's voice. To obey to just simply say, yeah, okay, I trust you. I believe that you're good and you have good things in store for me. In Isaiah, it goes like this. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the ways of the sea. I want God's peace. I want his well-being for me. 
And yet so often I think we fight against his voice in our lives. And so I just want to encourage you today. Listen to the voice of Jesus in your life and say, you know what? I am not going to listen to those other voices. I am going to put Christ first. I will be on that altar of sacrifice and allow God's voice to become my voice. Let's pray. Father, this is a powerful message today. Jesus was trying to speak to his audience that they might understand he is the good shepherd who has come and that by us coming to him, we could be saved. That message still stands. And then he was the one to say, I'm the good shepherd who will take you out to green pasture. I will make you lie down. I will bring rest for your soul. I can restore you. I can guide and direct your life. I know best. I can see when you can't. And yet we struggle to trust you. So today I pray for each of us in this room. Whatever it is that might be our struggle to trust you, that we would put it on the altar. And we'd say, enough. I'm going to trust you. I will trust you with my life. I will listen to your voice. I will walk in your way. So this I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that it might be true in our own lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to his voice. Well, God bless you as you go out this week. And uh, if you're listening to his voice and you want to talk to myself or anyone else on staff or whoever you came with, you can do that. And if you're interested in being baptized next Sunday, then you make sure you speak to us. God bless you. Listen to his voice. Go with his peace. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.